Today's episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, your one-stop location for all your gaming needs. Located in Lehigh City, Utah, their fun and friendly staff will be more than happy to answer any of your gaming needs. Just remember, Gamers Inn, it's where adventures begin. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Welcome to Dungeon Crows. We have on with us Emma Hardcastle, which is a author of you write supernatural type books, correct? Yes, I write high fantasy and post-apocalyptic fiction. Okay, so high fantasy, post-apocalyptic, which is just awesome all in itself. Everyone loves high <laughs> fantasy, and post-apocalyptic. Apocalyptic seems to kind of be the trend right now. We've seen zombies come. They've kind of gone away. It seems like that post-apocalyptic is kind of popular right now, you know, with, like, Hunger Games being really popular and Maze Runner and movies like that. Uh, so what got you into writing this these two genres? I think for post-apocalyptic fiction, just curiosity as to what the human race would do if the world ended and how we would cope with it. So um, the book that I wrote is called Aeon Infinitum Run For Your Life. It's the first to be released in a trilogy, but it's actually the second book in the series. So there's um, a prequel and a sequel due out as well by the end of this year. Um, And it's about um, a group of survivors that live in an underground ark called Titan. And above them is like a wasteland where nuclear waste and... Uh, mutant creatures and things live and it's all because the world was hit by a meteor um, hundreds and hundreds of years before the story set and um, that obviously released nuclear waste and things and when the world ended and they're surviving and unfortunately their governor the person that runs the underground uh, the underground arc has decided that they can no longer look after the, the hundreds of people that live there and They've now got to survive the outside world. They're going to release them and, and let them fend for themselves. So I was just really curious as to how people might react in that situation when they were forced together um, to to survive the unknown. Um, so that's my post-apocalyptic book. And I write high fantasy as well, so Lord of the Rings kind of setting, I guess. Um, and it's aimed at young adults um, with a strong female protagonist as my main character. And the inspiration for that actually came from a poem. It's inspired by William Blake's Argeries of Innocence. So the first, the first four lines of the poem, to see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. So the first four books in the series are named after that. Um, and that was basically just me trying to trying my hand at fantasy to see if I could create some supernatural powers of my own um, and play around with the genre a little bit. So that's the basis of, of how I got into both of those genres. 
Nice. Now, I'm going to focus on the high fantasy for just a moment. Now, with the high fantasy, because you mentioned it's very Tolkien-esque, is it, I mean, is it as deep and heavily worded like Tolkien, or is it kind of lighter and not so, you know, as much as I love Tolkien, it's sometimes a hard read. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be a very hard read. Um, I'm hoping that it's a much lighter read. Um, people that have read it do tell me that it's not as intricate as Lord of the Rings. Um, it does have a, a high cast, so a high set of characters, um, lots of things going on, lots of subplots, but for a book of its size, um, uh, that's kind of to be expected anyway. Yeah. Um, and each of the four books is... Uh, mini story of its own so um three of them are novel sized and then the last one's more of a novelette um and they all sort of cover their own little storylines but then there's an overall storyline um that covers all four um and there is a language there is um the haloian language because the planet's actually called halo um but the language was developed to be very easy to follow. So sometimes I think with Lord of the Rings, it can get a bit complicated and sometimes you can get a bit fed up of trying to pronounce words and yeah. uh, and go through the depth of description. So I tried to keep it a lot a lot simpler, a lot easier to read for considering it's a young adult book as well. I didn't want to overcomplicate everything. I wanted it to be lighthearted and, um, and an enjoyable read for the for the younger audience. So I just basically created the language, um, enough of the language, to get across the point that there is this additional language that heightens the magic in the story and the supernatural aspect of the story. Um, and the great thing about it is that the guy who's her mentor, whose name is Casper, he actually helps her to learn to pronounce the language as well. So in doing so, effectively teaches the reader. So I'm hoping that it's not quite as deep as Lord of the Rings, but equally as enjoyable. Now, the this language, did you create it completely or is it kind of a derivative of some other language? No, I created it completely, but I only created the parts that I needed. I didn't create the entire language, so I wouldn't be able to speak it fluently <laughs> if you asked me to, um, unfortunately. But I just created the parts that I needed to get across the point that there was this additional language that was beneficial to those that knew it in depth. And um, I taught my character the words that were necessary for the plot and the storyline um, and, and no more because I just thought I personally don't like reading books where there's a lot of pointless language in that I don't understand so I wanted to cut out all the bits that the reader would probably skip and be fed up with anyway and just get to the parts that were entertaining and, and needed to be in the story so that was the basics of it no I, I like that you, you just put in there what was needed I mean I know there are some people that are out there like man I want to know this entire language but sometimes when you're reading a book it's just nice to get what you need without having to waste all your, the extra time on the stuff that you don't need. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, um, there's enough of the language for, for them to get a feel of, of the kind of words used and what the words mean. Um, there's a couple of sentences put together as well, so it's not just the odd word that's thrown in there. There are kind of conversations that happen in the language that you can get a feel for how it would flow and um, how you would pronounce words and things. But no, I didn't create the full language. I just think it would, it was unnecessary and the reader would probably never want to know that much about the language anyway. So I didn't want to waste my time and my reader's time. So yeah. that's the reason behind it. Nice. Uh, you know, who, know, who knows? Maybe we'll get that request and you can write an entire uh, s dictionary <laughs> or something as a side book. 
So that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be. Um, so I mean, that, that's fantastic. That's really exciting. I, I like when writers get creative and things like that. You know, you do see, or you do have books out there where they talk about they're talking in another language, but you don't really see it because it's just assumed that you're now reading in that language or speaking in that. So the fact that you've included that and kind of made it so the reader can learn as the story progresses with your character, that's kind of cool. Thank you. Ariette was Ariette's my main character. She was very she's very clueless at the beginning at the very beginning of the book. She um, reads a lot, so she knows of the language, but she's not she's not practiced it and put it into into practice with magic. And because the language is very closely tied to magic, so a lot of the words, when used properly, would create an, an effect, um, would would create something in the world. Um, for example, Monibar means knowledge, and when used in the right terms, um, one of the characters in the story can create fire to keep them warm. Um, so it's an interesting. It's, it was interesting for me to be able to teach the reader at the same time as teaching my character as well. So. Um, that's that. I suppose that's all there was to it, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and in a young adult setting, that's perfect because you know they get to learn and and grow with the character, and I think that keeps their interest in the stories a lot more than you know, say, an epic high fantasy like Brandon Sanderson or Robert Jordan, where it's just getting thrown at you. And a lot, I think, a lot of young adults just get bombarded and they're like they get lost in the story. Yeah, I, I love Brandon Sanderson's work, but I think it's a little bit too heavy for the age group that I was going for. Yeah. So I, and I didn't want to overload them and, and bore them and put them off, so um, I just kept it to the very basics. Nice. No, I, Thank I, you. I, I like that. Now, with the post-apocalyptic, I mean, those are always fun stories. Um, I, I, at least, personally, I feel like that way, because you kind of have the world built for you, in a way, unlike... Fan, epic fantasy or fantasy novels, you kind of have to create that world. Uh, most post-apocalyptic, you're using the same world or you're using another world kind of model, and then you blow it up and kind of rebuild it in your own fashion. I, that's got to be a lot of fun. I, am I wrong, or no, did you enjoy that? No, you're absolutely right. I really enjoyed it, yeah. Um, I think that's probably why... I decided to write the prequel and the sequel to the story because I wanted to explore how we got from normality to this world that the, that the characters are living in. And I think it intrigued me just as much as it would intrigue the reader, and, and I wrote the book, so I thought there was definitely something there to explore. Um, but I think for some, post-apocalyptic fiction can be very depressing because we don't like to think about the end of the world and we don't like to think about anything but normality. Um but I think once we get thinking about what the possibilities are, it's interesting because we, we're we not very nice to this planet. I keep saying this. Um, we, we destroy it. We litter it. We do all sorts to it. And I just think eventually something is going to give and maybe we're going to regret it in the future. And I just like to explore what what would happen if we did one day regret it and we had to fix a problem that we could have prevented to begin with. Um, and that's that was the basics for it. It was I, I included the, the end of the world with a I included a meteor in the end of the world, and because I wanted to explore a little bit of the science fiction genre as well, so there is a bit of that thrown in. Um, all different parts of different books that I really love, really. So yeah. the, the best parts, all the different genres that I read, um, and I tried to include a little bit of everything, a taste of everything in the same book. Um, but yeah, huge fun, tons of fun to write. <laughs> So, you, you've kind of mentioned the meteor. Um, 
Now, if it gives away anything in the book, just say, you got to read the book. But now, with the impact of the meteor, how does that kind of bring about the end of the world? Does it create a massive EMP pulse? Or is it a, an ash cloud that surrounds the world that kind of puts us into an internal darkness? I mean, what kind of, how does that meteor impact uh, life on the planet? The, the meteor is expected. So in the prequel that I'm writing, it's actually a young a young university student that builds Titan, has the idea for Titan. Um, so he kind of gets the credit for it. And the government just jump on board. Um, but in the in the book that I've released, the meteor hits. It's so large and it hits so fast and so hard that the damage is just. It, 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 there's nothing we can do to save what was underneath it. But unfortunately, it also destroys a lot of the nuclear power plants and a lot of the medical facilities and releases a lot of things that are not quite as nice as we would want them to be. Yeah. And um, so that adds to the destruction of the planet and, and makes everything irreversible, really. So um, there is a twist to the meteor, which I won't ruin. You'll have to read the book. Um, but, yeah, that was the basics for how the planet is originally destroyed, um, but then things unfold from there. Okay, so is the planet Earth or is it another planet? No, it's Earth. It's oh. based on Earth. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Where does the meteor strike? I'm curious about that now. Washington. The state of Washington? Yes. Oh. Fun! <laughs> <laughs> no reason intended. It was just selected. Um, and I think I just... I, I went with America because I thought, well, most of my readers will probably be American. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of just figured to base it somewhere that's familiar to them and somewhere they can relate to. Um but I could have just as easily based it in London, and in the sequel, it's based, there's parts of Australia in there, and it explores other parts of the world as well. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to include a little bit of everywhere, but no, the meteor actually strikes Washington. No, that, I, I, the reason I say fun is because now my, my brain is like kicking into overdrive because, you know, there is Yellowstone there, which is a super volcano. Does that trigger? I mean, I'm just thinking of all these possibilities. That's along the Ring of Fire. Does that start a bunch of volcanoes that activate? Now now I'm intrigued. I mean, that's, well, that's just really cool. You'll have to read the book, but um, the prequel and the sequel explain an awful lot more because the prequel actually explores the end of the world itself, whereas the second book, the book that's been released first, um, Run for Your Life, is actually just about, mostly about the survivors and how they're going to be reintroduced to the world as it currently is. Mm -hmm. um, so the prequel that will be out later on this year will tell you everything you need to know about the destruction of the world. Um, but this particular book just introduces you to the characters that are currently surviving in Titan and how they're doing and how they've now got to face what's really going on outside and the real world as it currently stands. So um, I won't ruin it for you anymore. Um, no. People have to read the book and look forward to the prequel and the sequel that are coming out. Well, I like the fact that you've got you have the book, and now you're going back and telling the story that leads up to why they're in the place they're at, and then you're gonna you're gonna move on. That's just fantastic because, as a reader, you know, starting a post-apocalyptic series, you're like, okay, you, you get the feel, you're moving forward, and then you're like always wondering in the back of your head. At least I am. How did this happen? And you're telling that story with the prequel, which is just fantastic. I love it. Thank you. I think that's part of the reason why I did it, because when I read books like that, I'm always kind of thinking in my head, I want to know how this happened and why it happened, and I want more information. 
so I, when I mean this was the first it was the first book that I wrote and then I decided a prequel was necessary I didn't write them and then decide to release them out of order it just happened this way um but I kind of thought as well that it doesn't matter then which book you start with this there's something in each book that will lead you to read one of the others. Yeah. Um, so if you read this one, you'll want to know what happens and how, how it happens. And if you read the first one, then great. You've now got to learn about what happens to the people that did survive. So whichever way, whichever order you read them in, I guess it'll, it'll work. So yeah. there's that benefit to it as well. I mean, if, if anything Star Wars has taught us, you don't have to start at number one. You can start at number four and everyone will still be happy. I'm... Yeah, although that's still it's still too complicated for me. Unfortunately, <laughs> I've tried so many times and I just can't get my head around that. <laughs> it's fine, but you know, I I, I just think uh, you know, it's just kind of that thing when you're a writer or an author. Do you always want to know how does that work? You know, I have a friend uh, that's another author. That there are just sometimes he'll be driving along and he'll like stop at a place like. Uh, one time I was talking to him and he, he saw this big faci- this big power plant facility and he's like, huh, I wonder how that works. And he stopped and talked to the, the manager and asked if he could have a tour and they gave him a tour. I mean, he couldn't take pictures and stuff like that, but they walked him through and told him how everything worked and then he used it in a book. And I think that's kind of how we, we as writers are, is always thinking, how does that work? Because I want to put that in a story or make that, develop that story. Even if, you know, just seeing a sign some random old sign with a weird name well how did that name come to be and then you want to find out i just think that's how a lot of us tick even as human beings too yeah i definitely agree with that um i think writers have to be sponges we have to take everything in and and then create something with it and store what we can't use at at that very moment so um i have always been inspired by poetry and um william blake's Ashes of innocence is what inspired the pandora series um, but I'll stop and look at buildings and people give me ideas. And I remember once I was on holiday with family and there was a, like a derelict building um, that I had to stop and take a picture of because I knew that it would be a fantastic location for survivors to um, to wait out a zombie apocalypse. And I just knew that one day I could use that. So um, whether I use it or not is something else entirely. I have pictures stored and ideas stored. And I know that Stephen King says that a writer's notebook is the best way to kind of ruin ideas and the ones that stay with you and that plague you at night and are the first thing that you think about in the morning are the most important but I do like to keep track of all the different things that I see and hear and learn um, because I think eventually it can turn into something wonderful and and it's worth exploring. It definitely is Um, and even if it's not a main part of a story who knows maybe like you said you're writing a zombie apocalypse and you need a place that they can stay for even just a portion of a scene, you already have that. You have that picture, you can describe it. It's a lot easier to look at that and describe the building as it is than to try to remember it. Uh, you know, as much as I would love my to say my memory is awesome, uh, I forget things from time to time, and as time passes, it kind of degrades too. Yeah, exactly. I would have hated to have seen such a wonderful location for a story and to have forgotten it the week following, and then wonder in my mind what the details were and not be able to describe it if I sat down to try and write something. I, I would want it to be there and have it easily, have it found easily again. So um, that's the reason I do it. I know that it doesn't work for all authors and some just like to be inspired and start writing and some don't like to keep a notebook and some do. And it's, I think everybody's different. But personally, I feel that everything that inspires you or gives you that idea, it should be noted down because it can be used again in future. 
Yeah. No, and, and that's the wonderful thing about writing is it's different for everyone. Everyone's process is different. Some people outline, some people are panzers and just go for it. Uh, other people, they have to, you know, they have to notate every scene, everything that's done and, and things like that. And, you know, everyone's different, which is fantastic. And there's no right way or wrong way. Yeah, the plotting and pantsing. I think I used to be a pantser um, all the way. I used to sit down and go for it. But I think having rewritten and re-released the Pandora series, because it's actually a, an old work of mine, it's from 2010, and um, it's been re-released recently. Um, and if I hadn't have sat down and gone through the story and created the story beats and the outline that way and noted down all the details, because of the subplots and the volume of them and how complex they are, I think I don't think I would have been able to do it. So I'm kind of now an outliner as well. A bit mm -hmm. of both. I like to sit down and let inspiration take me and go for it. But then I tend to note down all the important parts of what I've just created so that next time when I come to writing the next chapter or the next scene, I can easily keep track of things and I can have that basic roadmap to the end. Um, but yeah, I think writers are different and things can change like they have for me. I, just because I was a pantser to begin with doesn't mean that I'm a pantser now. I've got a bit older and learned more and increased my skills. So I think it should, your techniques change with you. Yeah. Nice. Now, because you've written a little bit of high fa epic high fantasy and you've got the post-apocalyptic, are you going to stay with that? Is there maybe another genre that you're you're interested in writing for or you're just happy where you're at? I think I have the rest of the series to write. Pandora, This, these first four books are, are the first four in a series of 12. So there's three volumes, each with four books in, and there's only one that's been released at the moment. So there's that to finish. Um, the books are actually written. It's just they need work and then they need re-releasing. So there's those on the horizon, and there's the prequel and sequel to my post-apocalyptic book. So there is fantasy and <clears throat> post-apocalyptic fiction mostly in the future however i am working at science fiction and a literary fiction book as well and i think it's just because i get the idea and i fall into it and it's not that i'm i want to be loyal to a specific genre it's just what i enjoy writing at the time and where the ideas take me so i'm hoping that i can have a go at loads of different genres and maybe surprise my fans with my fans and my readers with something new okay i i think it's always wise to I mean, definitely finish your series, but to broaden your horizons. I mean, it's always fun to write in something else. Yeah, I'm loyal to the characters and I'm loyal to the readers that are enjoying those characters. So I would want to make sure that they have plenty to read and plenty to enjoy and that the series is suitably completed for them. But then I think I would like to, to try my hand at something new and just to see what I'm good at and if I can do it and if I can then perhaps there's a new series on the horizon and if I don't like what I write then I can return to what I'm comfortable with so it's a great thing about being indie I guess as well it's the freedom and the control that that you have to to write whatever you like yeah now where can the listeners find you because I'm sure they're going to be interested in where they can find your books where they can follow you if you're on social media if you have a web page anything like that Sure, yeah. Um, I have a website. It's erachelhardcastle.com and Rachel spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. So that's erachelhardcastle.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. I have a YouTube channel and a podcast of my own called The White Room where I interview other indie authors. 
Um, so I'm pretty much everywhere. You, you can't go on social media without finding me somewhere. Um, and there's also a contact form on my website as well. So if anybody has any questions or anything that I can help them with, they just need to drop me a line and I'll get back to them. Nice. So follower on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, wh- whatever your delight is. Uh, the YouTube channels, it sounds awesome, as well as the podcast. So uh, check out The White Room. That's what you said? Yes, that's right. Very interesting. Why The White Room? Um, a blank canvas, I guess, that I want to paint with ideas and inspiration and knowledge from other people. So it's a blank canvas just waiting to be painted. Oh, it's fantastic. I like that. <laughs> Thank that, you. That is awesome. All right, so folks, run out. This is a great opportunity to pick up a great epic fantasy uh, series as well as post-apocalyptic series. I know there are, you, our listeners are fans of both, so uh, look for E. Rachel Hardcastle. Um, I'm assuming the books are available on Amazon and where else? Um, Amazon, Kobo, Nook, and the first in the series, which is called World, is actually free. If you want to get it on ebook, it's perma-free at the moment, so they can try before they buy effectively. Um, but the whole volume is available as one book and a paperback as well. Um, but if they want to try the installments and follow Ariette through her journey step by step, they can do so as well. All right, there it is. So with that said, go uh, go check this out. Find out if you enjoy the books, which I'm certain you will just from our brief conversation. I'm intrigued and I want to know more. And uh, we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. Thank you. Just because the world is without fuel doesn't mean can't burn. Union Forest has unleashed a dragon upon the world and it's hungry. Henry Morgan has to save his brother and face the dragon. Check out The Shadows Above the Flames, written by our very own Daniel Swanson and published by Immortal Works. Find your copies on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or anywhere books are sold. So go get your copy today and find out what happens to Henry and Rick.